Good morning, everyone. Happy 4th of July weekend. Kiddos, you're going to hang with us today. So uh, nothing like a, a service where we're talking about sin and resurrection for all of our kids to enjoy a little bit of church. Seriously, there are coloring things out there. And if you're a grown-up that doesn't like to think about those things or it would help you focus, you can grab a coloring sheet as well. I think the Lord is going to say good things to us today. My name is Chris, lead pastor here at Trinity. And I just want to say a couple of things before we get into our sermon. Number one, um, this is uh, Tuesday's July 4th. And um, I think this is for sure Lee Greenwood's favorite day of the year. When you think about Spotify royalties for downloads, he is going to be super pumped about Tuesday. And I just want to say, um, I, I'm really thankful to live in the country that we live in and to have the freedoms that we have, uh, not only the freedom to worship, but the freedom to order our lives and to have all the opportunities that we have. Um, and so I hope that on, on Tuesday, if you're eating a hot dog or a hamburger, you just, you know, like say something about being glad for America. And yet, independence as a founding concept does not work really well with Christianity. So what I want to encourage you to do on Tuesday, not to be a buzzkill, um, but be thankful for independence as it relates to our political systems and then acknowledge your dependence upon God. There are no free agents in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we are surrendered, submitted, dependent upon the Lord. And there are times where our, um, our joy about our freedom politically can bleed over into our theological worldview and teach us that we're all just independent, free spirits. And I just want to tell you, uh, your life and mine, we flourish when we submit and surrender to God. I am more aware of my dependence on the Lord in this season of my life than I ever have been. So I can like listen to a Toby Keith song and go, woo, Green, Lee Greenwood, and then I can say, God... I am totally dependent upon you. So think beyond your simple Americanness on Tuesday, and I promise it'll make the day a better day. Uh, be, be a believer first, and then be thankful for the freedoms that we have. Amen? Amen. I like baiting you into agreeing with me on things like that. Um, Wednesday, the 5th, uh, we're having worship and prayer, and we would love to invite you to join us. Uh, this uh, month, first, first Wednesday of the month at 7.30, we gather here in this sanctuary every month, and we have beautiful music. We have an opportunity for people to be prayed for. Uh, this week, we're going to be, this month, we're going to be focusing on the gifts of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so if you find yourself in a space where you need the life and the power of God to animate your movement toward him or parts of your life, we just want to encourage you to carve out time on Wednesday to join us. Um, this is one of my favorite things we do as a church when we gather and, and have extended beautiful music that creates an atmosphere for us to learn how to be connected to God in our hearts, um, not just thinking thoughts about God, but experiencing him. And I would just encourage you, if you've never been to one, come on Wednesday, uh, an hour and a half. We're here from 7.30 to 9, and God shows up and does beautiful things. It warms our hearts. And this, this time, we're going to be thinking about the gifts of God, uh, which we need his gifts. We need the power of God, the life of God at play in us. So please join us. Um, next, I get to introduce a friend of mine, uh, Jordan, uh, sitting on the second row. 
uh, with his wife Holly and their kids. Known Jordan for a long time. He pastors the church called the Parish, which is up uh, in Alpharetta. Um, if if you live in Alpharetta, um, you should check that out. I don't want to get rid of you, but I but I do think that if you live close to the parish, this would be an amazing place for you to worship. Jordan and his church were not planted out of Trinity, but they are a sister church to us. Um, this guy, he and I have lunch every month, and then he and myself and a number of our other pastors, we gather additionally every month just to talk and to pray and to brainstorm, um, to be a support to one another, to grieve sometimes together, to celebrate together. And I just want to say that I um, truly love this guy. I respect him. Uh, I am so proud and thankful that we as a church are connected to other churches like the parish. Uh, and I asked him to come and preach, and he said yes. So let's give Jordan a hand. It's going to be great to hear from him. Thank you. Uh, so first service, this didn't work. Second service, it's working, but it doesn't fit my face, and I'm convinced it doesn't fit any human's face. And so I think this is some sort of hazing uh, that is happening here. Good morning. <laughs> uh, well, it's good to be here with you. I'm glad to be here. This church has been in the background of my story for uh, a long time now. And so I want to just begin by saying how thankful I am for this community before we jump into our scripture reading in Romans. Uh, 13 years ago, we planted a vineyard church in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, we were singing songs in this small little church in Indiana that were written by Trinity Vineyard at the time, now, now Trinity Anglican. And then, you know, lo and behold, we ended up moving, after pastoring there for a handful of years, we ended up moving to Georgia and to Alpharetta. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is that same church we were singing those songs about. And then uh, got to know Chris a little bit. We're in the same diocese. And um, this church really is dear to my heart because there was a moment about four years ago when our church was going through a really deeply difficult season and uh, in fact an existential season and Chris came and sat in a dimly lit room with a handful of our leaders and basically guided us through a process of hey is there more to the story of this church or not like is it is it time to pack it in or is there more to this story? And we all came to the conclusion that yes, there is more to the story. And now here we are four years later, and our church has come through that really deeply wintertime season into a spring season that feels beautiful and redemptive and full of wonder. And I'm so thankful. Like you all play into the story of our community. And Chris, you've been a gift to me. So thank you. Um, having said that, let's jump in. And we're going to Read from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. Do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you 
having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification, and the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so we're in the season after Pentecost, and we're reflecting on the implications of the Holy Spirit. You know, I always find it helpful to locate uh, all of us together as we come into worship in where we are in the story. And there is a moment where Jesus on the cross bows his head, and he gives up his spirit. And, uh, and it's a dark moment in the story, but not long later, that same spirit that is given up by Jesus is given to the church at Pentecost. And this is a game changer. Uh, the, the possibility now exists for a Holy Spirit, an indweller, a counselor, an advocate to guide us into all truth. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit is the invitation of this possibility of a profoundly transformed inner life and a profoundly transformed outer life. And so uh, that's where we're jumping off from. Last week, Chris closed with the question. And if you were here last week, I hope you've been reflecting on the question that he offered you all. And the question was this, where is death and sin exercising dominion? And what would it look like to be free? Where is death and sin exercising dominion, and what would it look like to be free? I want to begin by just offering some reflections on that phrase, death and sin. In the passage I just read from Romans, it's only 11 verses long. There are 10 times in those 11 verses that Paul calls us out of a life of sin. And so, you know, sin is coming up over and over and over. This is central this matters. This is important in the Christian life that we leave sin behind and that we walk in a different, new kind of way, a freedom kind of way. And yet sin as a concept, my experience has been that the modern church has not always handled sin super well. Too often it has been weaponized against those outside of the walls of the church, and it's become this tool to hammer at those people, right? Or, or uh, it is used manipulatively or hypocritically inside the church. It's unwisely wielded inside the church. And so uh, many of us may have some baggage when we hear like sin as a concept. And then we come to this passage and Paul is over and over uh, hammering away on sin. And some of us may begin to just shut down. Uh, we're already well aware, Paul, of our baggage, and we don't need you to keep on bringing it up. You know, leave me alone. And so rather than lean in, we may hunker down, we may hide away, and, uh, and I hope we'll hear the invitation instead to, to lean in. And then others of us, and this is what I'm guilty of, rather than, uh, than, than shut down, we double down. We're like, okay, 
I hear it. I hear it. Okay, I got to clean up. I got to conquer. I got to control sin. And we grit our teeth to eradicate the influence of sin in our lives. And that's not an all bad impulse. But often I have found that whenever I'm gritting my teeth in the spiritual life, it just doesn't work, right? And so I hope this morning that rather than shut down or double down, I hope instead that we can hear that Paul is actually calling us into something a lot deeper, a lot bigger, a lot broader, uh, and, and that the invitation can run really deeply in our lives. There are sins, and then there is capital S, sin. George Herbert, the poet, said that there are two vast and spacious forces in the world, love and sin. And the way I imagine this is if I rewind all the way back to the beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 1, that out of the overflowing eternal heart of God, the, the Trinity creates this world and love spills into the world and it is shaping a world that is increasingly animated by exponential shalom, by goodness, by blessing, by belovedness. That's how the story gets its start. But then in Genesis 3, we all know sin and death enter the story. They become the great twin enemies of God's story, and they become counterforces. So God intends the world to move toward wholeness. Sin and death are pushing the world back away toward fracture, toward shatteredness, toward brokenness, right? And so uh, they, they are these counterforces pushing against the way God intends the world to go. And we all get caught up in that gale force wind, wind of sin, and if you follow the story from Genesis chapter 4 through 11, it just keeps getting worse. You know, what begins in the garden with a taking instead of attending is pretty soon brothers killing one another. And then not long after that, it, it, you know, it keeps on spilling out into exponential violence. There is an, an increase, an escalation of not only inner brokenness, but then pretty soon it spills over to relational brokenness. And then pretty soon it spills over to systemic brokenness. It's getting worse. It's moving away from God's intention. And that's the power of sin and death. And so when we talk about sin today, my hope is that we all might ask ourselves, where am I getting caught up in that wind? Where am I, what is happening inside of me? What is happening in my way of being that is blowing my life and perhaps the lives I'm interacting with away from God's intention of increasing wholeness in the world? And what might it look like to be free of that? And then this word dominion, that second word that was in Chris's question, dominion, uh, there are these two vast forces shaping the world, and then therefore, there are two ways of being in the world. There are two teams you can play on, right? And the Christian life is one in which we are invited out of an allegiance to the dominion of sin and into a broader dominion, the kingdom, in which we are now moving in the, in the world in a different way. And so in Genesis 12, after all of that brokenness, after all of that increasing violence and, and fracture in the world, in Genesis 12, God pulls Abraham aside. And he says, I'm calling you into a different way of being in the world. That in a world that is increasingly animated by brokenness, you have a call to show that it is possible to live in a different way in the world. And then Paul, thousands of years later, picks up that same thread in the book of Romans, and he says, yeah, that's our call too. All of us, church, that's our call, that we are going to be the one showing that there is another way of being in the world that leads toward an increase of goodness and justice and peace and hope in the world. And so we're invited to trade teams. We're invited to shift from one way of being to another. We are a people not only rescued from sin, but uh, you know, called to live in resistance 
to that power of sin, to propel the world away from sin and into God's increasing wholeness, to bear witness to what a free life, a whole life, a holy life might look like. And that sounds great. The problem is sin's way gets in us, right? It is pervasive. It's not as simple as just, you know, not, not acting in that way anymore. And so this is the water we swim in. It's how we learn to swim also. And I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and goes, I'd like to add to the brokenness of the world. Right? That's just not what happened. But instead, it's like we all are caught up in the fracture, the shrapnel. And as a result, rather than pass the peace along, we pass the pain along to the world. And so we need a way to be healed. We've been wounded by the world. We carry that wound around. And sin has this way of shrinking us down until all I can see is my little story. And so as a result of that, I only see myself, and therefore I become self-referenced, self-consumed, self-obsessed, self-orbiting, and everything begins to be about me, right? I was driving behind a car this week, and the license plate literally was me first, right? (laughs) And I'm like, somebody took the time to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and request a custom license plate that says, me first. If that's your car, I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to pick on you. Uh, But like, this is how we get shrunken down. New Testament scholar Bob Mulholland describes a self-referenced life with these words, and uh, uh, it's a bit of a gut punch, that a self-referenced life is fearful, defensive, possessive, protective, manipulative, indulgent, distinction-making, and destructive. And do you know anybody like that, right? Every time I look in the mirror, it's me. That's me, right? And by default, and without profound reformation into the image of God, this is how we show up in the world, and the problem is it's how everybody else shows up too. And so it's no wonder that there is a a collision that cracks the world, and so being reshaped by God's Spirit into a new way of being is at the heart of our life and vocation. We cannot be freeing, healing people in the world unless we get caught up in some freedom and healing ourselves. But how? How? Paul is adamant in our text today that to be freed of sin is not a matter of best practices. It is not a believe better sort of thing. It is not a self-improvement or sin management sort of thing. It is a death and resurrection sort of thing. The way we are healed is to get caught up in a healing story. How does God save the world from the power of sin and death? Through death and resurrection. How is God gonna save my little world? Through the power of sin and death? Through death and resurrection, right? This is a process by which we are transformed, and it, of course, plays out in huge, transformational, cosmic, world-changing ways, but it also plays out in the miniature, over and over, in each of our lives. In fact, wherever there is a point in my life where I am unlike Jesus, I can expect that I am being invited into a death and resurrection story in that place. That there is something in me that is resistant to God's way and it has to be let go of. It has to be surrendered. It has to be detached from me. Something meaningful needs to die in that area that Christ's new life of freedom may rise. And so we need encounters with the God who dies, and we need encounters with the God who knows how to rise again. The, 
the cross-shaped one, Jesus. He says, I am the gate that leads to life. But to walk through that gate means we got to take on the cross-formed shape ourselves, the cruciform shape. To enter into Jesus involves taking up the cross, and that is no small thing. And there are ways that I show up in the world, and I'd wager the same is true for you, that they work for me, but they also are wounding me, right? For me, it's uh, over-functioning. I decided early on in my life that my best survival strategy to make it in this world was to just work harder and longer than everybody else and to find a way to get more competent at everything, right? And this works, but it wounds me. And trailing behind me is this wake of damage in my own life and in others' life. This sounds like a benign example, but if you trace it all the way down to overfunction all the time is to lead to being chronically stressed. When you're chronically stressed, you get chronically grouchy about being chronically stressed, and then you stop showing up to people in your life the way God intended you to, right? And so then I'm not being who God has created me to be to others because there is this, uh, this dysfunctional pattern that I'm stuck in. And so the question then becomes, what needs to die? What's the payoff of this way of life that I am stuck on that Jesus is saying there's a better word, better news? Why am I stuck in a self-reliant story? What's the lesser word I am believing about God and myself that I'm invited to let go? And a death and resurrection story then is going to involve a painful letting go of some lesser loyalties and dependencies that I think I must have to be okay. We enter into death. But then there's good news, and Paul says it this way in Romans 6, uh, 5. He says, no, 12 and 13. Yep, no, 5. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's good. Actually, 5. It really is 5, I promise. Next one. There it is. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Right? And so the good news is that as we meaningfully participate in the death of Jesus, we also meaningfully are brought into encounters with the life and love of Jesus. And there are places where I put my trust in sin's way, not because I'm trying to be evil or hard-hearted, but because I am terrified. I'm terrified that God does not really love me. He's not loving, meaning he's, he's for me in a meaningful way, and he's not really living, meaning he's with me in a meaningful way. And so I've got to do it myself then, right? I am, at, I am at stake. I am not safe. I am in survival mode all the time. I am uh, in the corner, defenseless, defensive. And sometimes we come to faith, and we believe it up here, but rather than experience any actual formation in our hearts, we've simply added this religious layer that only further insulates us from God. And so God is inviting us to bring that down, because otherwise we end up in a place where we say yes to God in theory, but we continue in our posture and practice as if everything actually depends on me. And to the degree, then, that I am unconvinced that God is really active and redemptive in my life, sin's dominion is going to sound pretty good, because it's going to tempt me into ways where I can continue to make things happen for myself. And so we need a resurrection encounter 
with a better love, with a better word. We have to not just believe it intellectually, but interiorly. It has to get into our bones, and that may begin overnight, but it does not happen overnight. It is a lifelong formation and partnership of cooperation with God, and in time we can begin to see that sin is actually telling us a lesser and redundant story. It's telling me a story in which I have to do all these things that, in truth, God has already done, but better than I could have done them in the first place. And so I begin to realize I don't have to defend myself. I have a defender. I don't have to live in a world marked by scarcity. I live in God's big world. And so the old way becomes no longer needed. There's a better way on offer. And the old way then begins to recede. It begins to die with Christ. New life begins to rise. We'll start to wrap this up. Ultimately, a formation like this is not something that is accomplished by our willpower or our want to. It is by God's great love. Certainly, we have cooperation opportunities. Certainly, we have a role to play. But what does not work is trying to deny or despise or destroy the self-reliant life through the tools of the self-reliant life. I know because that's what I try to do all the time, right? Like, oh, this isn't working, so I'm gonna try really hard to do something different. But the problem is this doubling down approach only drives us deeper into ourselves. And when that works, I feel really self-righteous. And when it doesn't work, I feel really self-loathing, but either way, I'm still living in a world that's entirely about myself. And instead, God invites us to say, God, I wanna give up that game. I want to give up my skills, my solutions, my survival strategies, myself, and I want to cry out to you instead and say, God, I need you to do what I cannot do. God, I've got this place of pain in my heart, and I can't heal it, and I need you to heal it to rise up something new in this part of my life. And now we're finally in a position to encounter something other than ourselves. We're in a position to encounter God. And so it turns out then that when we are finally led to the, own, the end of our own resources, the end of our own solutions, when we finally can name to God the places we are resistant to God, that God shows up right there at that place and says, I've just been waiting. <laughs> And the spirit of Jesus begins to knock on the door of our heart and says, right there, in that place that you are stuck, I have good news to speak in that anxiety, in that fear, in that betrayal that you cannot forgive, that control you can't let go of, that wound you can't stop reacting out of, that addiction, that despair that is consuming your life right there. I have a death and resurrection process to play out in your life. So let's end with just uh, going inside with Jesus for a minute, having a conversation with him. So I'll invite you just in your own uh, heart to, to just close your eyes and enter into a posture of prayer. And talk to God for a moment about the places that you are impossibly stuck, impossibly confounded, and you know Jesus has something better for you.
What needs to die? In that part of your life. And what might come to life? And so, Jesus, we want to bring to you our hearts that have been caught up in the shrapnel of sin for a long time. We need your healing. We need your freedom. Come, invite us to be crucified with Christ that we might rise with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. So thankful, Jordan. If we're able to stand together.